Hello, everybody, and thank you for downloading episode 125 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. This is the week. If you are listening to this before Friday, the 21st of July, there's still time, Philadelphia, New Jersey, New York, and Delaware, to come see Mark and I live as part of the Philadelphia Podcast Festival. We've got Maureen Johnson joining us, and you can get tickets at the door or at HalLublin.com. For now, please enjoy episode 125 of We Got This with Mark and Hal. Hello, I'm Hal Lublin. And I'm Mark Gagliardi. Since the dawn of humanity, one issue has gone unsettled. With the fate of the world in the balance, we're here to settle once and for all. Best cartoon cat. That's right. Don't worry, everyone. We got this. Podcasts should have a theme song. Podcasts should not have a theme song. Yes, they should. No, they shouldn't. They sound good. Yeah, but people are just going to skip past it. Hmm. You know what? You're right. We got this. Hello, everybody. Hi, listeners. Hal, this is another exciting episode. We are in a place that we've never been before. I've never been here, but I'm instantly happy. This is like my happy place that I never knew existed. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm looking right now at the uh, the cat uh, the cat clock with the eyes and tail that are that function as the pendulum. Yeah, there is so much fun stuff. To, why is there so much fun stuff to look at in here? Well, it's because we're in the home of our guest who. You know from his countless credits, uh, Batman the Animated Series, I'm looking at a, at a bunch of his Emmys right now. Yeah, yeah. It's Paul Dini. Hello. Hi, Paul. Thanks for, thank you for doing the show with us. This is very exciting for I, us. I also have to specify a lot of this comes from my wife, Misty Lee, uh, magician Misty Lee, who's yes. not here. She's off rehearsing for her big show in, in July, but she sends her regards. And, uh, so this is sort of like a melting, uh, place of whimsy here between the magic and the, Weirdness. We've we've got quite a lot of stuff. Look, these are all our particular favorite sure. uh, nerddoms. So yeah. we are in heaven right yeah. now. You combine into the a beautiful melange. Yes. Where yeah. is Misty's uh, big magic show in July? It's going to be at the El Portal Theater in North Hollywood. Beautiful yeah. theater. Bold magic, and it's going to be great. Yeah. It's cool. crazy. I've known Misty for I'd say ten plus years through mm-hmm. Second City mm-hmm. in Los Angeles. Right. Right. And uh, and now I she's doing a show where they do comedy sports. Yes. <laughs> but that bringing like fun. class to it, yeah. yeah. So I got to check that out. I, I don't yeah. think I've ever seen her uh, perform magic before. Well, a lot of what she does is at the Magic Castle, so that's you know a private club, mm-hmm. uh, a very fun place though. Yes. One of my favorite, yeah. yeah. Lots to visit. And uh, for the last three years, she was performing out at Morongo Casino mm-hmm. on uh, Friday uh, nights. Uh, she had a regular gig out there. November, December, every Friday, she was a host of a magic show, and she and her uh, her girls would put on a big show there. And um, well, everybody can see her the week before, her, a few days before her show, because she's going to be on Penn and Teller Fool Us. Ooh, and, uh, awesome! So uh, we uh, we went to Las Vegas uh, earlier this year, and she uh, was on stage with them and and did a, a trick and came off very well. So and, oh, I can't uh, that's all I can say. Very exciting. Uh, that's it. Yeah, that's it. You can't say too much. Can't say too much. No, yeah. no, you can't. But we're we're not here to. Talk magic no no, no. I, although i understand we may be coming back to this house to talk magic oh yes know, in the there's a little magic thing not too there. immediate future there's oh yeah there's, ah, there's a bunny coming out of there's a kind of magic right everywhere yeah yes. <laughs> in this a little, house a little bit here and there yeah but we're here to talk about cats more specifically cats. cartoon cats and mm-hmm. you not only batman the animated series you've written can you give us just some of your cv uh, uh boy uh, if, if you watched a cartoon between 1980 and uh, today I probably worked on it. You know, you at go. some point I started while I was in college. I got a job 
writing Saturday morning cartoons simply because they had a lot of work at the time and they were looking for people. And I was a cartoonist at Emerson College in Boston where I was going to school. So uh, I got a chance to meet the guys at Filmation Studio and they said, why don't you write for us long distance? And so that was kind of a neat way to end my senior year was by writing um, <laughs> things like uh, Mighty Mouse, which had some cats in it, and yeah. uh, Fat Albert and uh, uh, what was also doing Flash Gordon, things like wow. that. Oh, so, yeah. Remember yeah, that. Yeah. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. It'd be like I was. I would go to rehearsal for the school show that I was in because I was also acting, and it's like, what are you doing? <laughs> and it's like I'm writing cartoons, you know. And, like, and so I would go and sing, and then I'd go home back and pound out ideas for for cartoons, and then I moved out full time around '83, and uh, and started working. Worked on Masters of the Universe. Worked on scooby doo some hanna-barbera stuff everything they were doing at the time because they were just selling tons of shows mm-hmm. and then i went up to san rafael and worked at lucasfilm for about five years when they were doing ewoks droids they were starting their game division pixar was getting started so there was a lot of activity there and everybody's kind of looking over each other's uh, shoulders then i got uh, a chance to come back to la and work on tiny tune adventures my good pal tom ruger called me up who i'd met at, at filmation studios years before he was producing the show with Gene McCurdy and Steven Spielberg and he was putting together a team of artists and writers and some really amazing people on that show Sherry Stoner uh, Nick Hollander, Paul Rugg Bruce Timm Art Art Botello, uh so many great talents who, who came around who were working on both uh, Tiny Toons and Animaniacs at that time and so after doing Tiny Toons for a couple of years Batman came up and I worked on the development on that show and uh, Alan Burnett came on and I, I'd kind of wandered away from Batman for a while because it was in development and nobody was really sure about the tone of the show or what it was going to be and Alan came in and he said, I'd really like to have you writing on the show. So I wrote a couple of episodes. I was off working on another project and I had so much fun doing it and, and working with Alan that I agreed to come back full time on staff. And so worked on Batman as a writer, story editor, second uh, batch of episodes. I was a producer and that led to Superman and Batman Beyond and Duck Dodgers and Justice League and just about everything that um, we did over at Warner Brothers to about uh, 2004. And then I left um, for the most part and I would do things. I worked two years on Lost when that was starting up and I did my own show called Tower Prep, which was on Cartoon Network for about 10 minutes. And then, uh, <laughs> um, and now I'm uh, just working on everything. So we've got wow. comics and books and I, some movie stuff in the works. I had to uh, stop myself at the beginning sure. of, of that uh, list from going, Oh man, I love that show because I realized early on that I was mm. going to say that to every show that you mentioned. Oh, thank you. Um, so <laughs> that is really, really, really cool. Yeah. So what better guy to talk about cartoons with? Yeah. Many of these cartoons you probably drew. Uh, if not, I watched them. Yeah. So yeah. I've seen them. Um, so. so we're talking today about cartoon cats. Yes. Yeah. This, this was suggested by Adam Kenyon. Hello, Adam Kenyon. Hey, Adam Kenyon. Uh, thank you for the suggestion. This is a fun one. I like this. Mm-hmm. Um, if you guys don't mind, uh, because I'm, I'm, we've got all our research from Kate McManus, our mm-hmm. brilliant researcher, mm-hmm. uh, in front of us right now. And, um, if I could just put a little bit of order to, uh, to the list. Yeah. Um, why don't we try this chronologically? 
Okay. And we will get your thoughts on each of these cats as we go through. All right. I mean, we could all go all the way back to Felix and well, crazy 1919. Yes. That's yeah. where we're going to yeah, start. Yeah, that's the with, first. Uh, we're going to start with the oldest cat on the list, Felix the cat. Felix the uh, cat. Who, uh, is actually the, the inspiration for that clock that yeah, I mentioned yeah, earlier, the, the Felix cat. clock. Yeah. It is a very, uh, very iconic black and white mm-hmm. cat from mm-hmm. the, the, was this the first animated cat? I, I believe so. There, there were, there was a slew of very generic looking creatures around that time and you mm-hmm. can go back and I'm sure you can find like a laughogram version of Puss in Boots that Walt Disney did. In fact, I think there was one. So he was drawing cartoon cats probably around 1921, 22 with his very first things. But, you know, Felix was 1919. Walt would have been about 18. So, um, yeah, I'd say that was the first. And uh, I think that it was a good choice of a character because he was mostly black and he was like a big kind of smudge with a smile on his face and a tail that he could use as a question mark. And <laughs> That's uh, right. <laughs> and around that time, I think they also made a deal to do Crazy Cat as a, as a cartoon, but it was kind of Crazy Cat name only. It did not lack – it lacked the appeal and the, the whimsy of the uh, the George Harriman strip. Yeah, Felix the Cat is one of those characters that I feel like modern audiences are not familiar with at all. Right. But he was the the sly trickster before Bugs Bunny. Sure. And, and so many other characters that followed that lineage. And there mm-hmm. were characters mm-hmm. in print before sure. him. But he and his bag of tricks yes. are sort of a quintessential piece of animation history. Yeah. And it's hard to... You know, not not to stop the episode now and say he's the greatest cat of all time because he he may or may not be, but he's yeah. certainly one of those characters that warrants going a lot further into the discussion. Well, well, yeah, George Washington. Yeah, I mean, he was pure cartoon. He didn't speak, and so uh, he everything was in his reactions or in his emotions. If he wanted to express himself, he could take off his tail and make it a question mark or an exclamation point, or use it as a cane or or something like that. So that's the pure essence of, of cartoon. And he's a character. I think that in, even though they've tried to revive him periodically, he's a character who I think exists now mostly as a name because people still know the name mm-hmm. and a design. And certain characters are like that. They kind of lose. I don't, I don't want to say their, their, their place in the public consciousness, but they sort of evolve into more of a design than an actual character. That right. You can see Felix. You know who he is. He's on a huge, he's on the car dealership here. Felix, uh, what is it? Cadillac downtown or Felix? <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's Felix a Felix Chevrolet. Oh, yeah, yeah. Chevrolet. That's right. Yeah. And you can still see him there and they still have mascots of him. And I believe there's still Felix merchandise and toys you can buy. Sure. But, um, again, he's in a, he's in a, Situation where you would have to compete in their entertainment wise with things like Family Guy and Bojack Horseman and things like that. So he'd have to be reinvented. Uh, I don't know right. if you could go back and do the same cartoons. And the question is, if you make him something else, does he again become Felix in name only? And, uh, do you have to update him beyond the point where he is, you know, true to himself, which is that sort of pure, like you said, impish cartoon spirit? What do you think makes a great cartoon character in general. Because I, I think, obviously, whichever cat is going to win this right. is going to be a great character. Right. What, what are those elements? Well, there has to be an element of you have to see something human and relatable in in, in every character, and cats in particular. And I think cats, cats and dogs are great 
characters for humans to empathize with because at some point in their life, pretty much everybody has owned either a cat or a dog. And you can, uh, the cat is, uh, sometimes he's the put upon character because he's got a dog menacing him. And so the cat has to be fast and quick witted in order to survive. In many cases, the cat is the aggressor because he's picking on an animal smaller than himself, like a bird or a mouse, which is an interesting question because in real life, you know, there was a mouse or a rat running around in here. Nobody would want it in here. And then, you know, a cat would chase it out and like good kitty. But in a cartoon, it's a it's always been a question of scale. The big guy is always the meaner guy. Mm -hmm. So Tom is always the aggressor of Jerry, who's cute. Right. Pete is the bully and the... Th oh, we didn't put... Oh, Pete's not on the list. Pete Puma. No, uh, Black Pete. Uh, oh, Pete. yeah. Because he oh. technically is a cat. I always this think is, This is Mickey's nemesis. Mrs. Mickey's nemesis, yeah. He know. looks like a dog to me, and I always... I he never look at yeah, him... He looks like a bulldog. He looks like Tank, actually. Yeah. Uh, he, he, but he actually is a cat because... I believe what happened was when Walt was making Oswald, he had kind of like a big character. It might have been a bear who had a peg leg, and then he redesigned him to be more cat-like. And then when he started doing Mickey, he did made him the captain in Steamboat Willie. And he realized, okay, Mickey's a small little impish guy. The cat's a big heavy. And so mm -hmm. Pete became more of an adversary. He lost a lot of his cattishness. Uh, he had the peg leg would come and go. Sometimes even in the comics, they exclaim, they, it, it claimed it was a prosthetic leg because it was too hard using the peg leg. And he's always been, you know, there with Mickey, you know, off and on throughout his, his long history. Um, but again, he's got that big, heavy Wallace Beery jaw. He's, he's got very little of an actual cat in him. He's just sort of the big guy. Even though it's interesting now, if you watch the new shorts that Paul Rudish and his team are doing, the Mickey Mouse shorts that are running on uh, online. Which I love those. Yeah. I feel like Mickey in those has gotten back to what he was. Mm -hmm. Like it, the, the, the 80s and 90s Mickey was always in a tuxedo and very charmingly right, and right. gentlemanly introducing things. Yeah. Right. Now he's back to... He's doing stuff. Yeah. He's yeah. having fun. Yeah. And the latest one that ju they just put out was... Uh, it. Uh, Mickey, Donald, and Goofy are going to the old swimming hole to start their summer, and they get there, and there's a hole in the ground, and Pete's stolen it. He's he's tearing he's tearing off with it in a big truck, and it's like <laughs> so long, your little runt. And uh, and he looks very caddish throughout it. When he laughs, his ears go straight up, and he's actually drawn with a tail now because they went back. And they made Goofy more like his old dippy dog persona. And mm -hmm. so they made Pete, you know, he's a big cat. So yeah. if there was ever any doubt. Much he, bigger than the dog version of Goofy. The yeah. The dog version of Goofy. Yeah. 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 So he's, uh, you know, cats make really good big adversaries for small, you know, appealing guys. So uh, Mickey always, even when they made him human, he Pete was all and was fighting Donald Duck or Goofy. He was always, even though he lost most of his cattishness, he always re, he always read as the big burly mean guy. Yeah, I think a lot of the cats on this list, maybe it's fifty fifty. A lot yeah. of the cats here are the heavies. Yeah, and some are they're either the heavies, they're like dominant and kind of smug, right, or they're just sort of uh, like. Uh, Snowball from The Simpsons, the right. many iterations of Snowball, not going to win, but just sort of exists in the background. It's not a great pet, right. particularly. And then you've got weirdos like the Cheshire Cat and Alice in Wonderland. You mm -hmm. don't know what he's about. He's just, oh, yeah. <laughs> but he's a great character. He's beautifully designed and, uh, and that voice, and, uh, Sterling Holloway's voice on him is just perfect. Yeah. And is he a friend? Is he an ally? Is he a menace? Is he just out of his freaking mind? Which mm -hmm. he kind of admits he is. But the interesting thing about the Cheshire Cat, uh, 
Ward Kimball, uh, Walt's great director, especially for extreme characters, was mm -hmm. responsible in a, to a great degree for the Cheshire Cat. And he, I also Wonderland is a weird movie where the Cheshire Cat almost doesn't read because the thing that's distinctive about him is his big grin. But every character in that movie is designed to look loony and over the top and is, is grinning like, like a, like an idiot. But Kimball said the thing that made the cat read was that while the Mad Hatter and the March Hare and the Queen of Hearts are over the top and trying to fight each other for, for, you know, the wildest emotions, the cat's just sort of laid back and cool. He's got the just big watches and it's like, yeah, well, you don't know where you're going. It doesn't matter where you go. And so that make, that gives him this kind of cool, creepy air to him and, it's no mystery to me why that character has caught on uh, in the last 10, 20 years. Like he's everywhere in merchandising and, and he's really, that whole movie has kind of bounced back from obscurity. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Do you think it was partly because of the Tim Burton remakes? I know the Cheshire Cat in that looked right. similar to the way the Cheshire Cat was drawn in older illustrations. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the Tennille ones from the mm -hmm. old or the Arthur Rackham. Uh, I think, that helped quite a bit. I also think it was time for it to come back because I, you know, here's an interesting thing. Um, I think that Walt considered Alice to be a, a rare failure. He wasn't really happy with it. The story didn't have a likable protagonist in his eyes because there was nothing really for Alice to achieve other than sort of surviving and commenting on the weirdness. Mm -hmm. And the characters she encounters are all oddly aggressive toward her or, or just unhelpful. Like, the Mad Hatter is really not a friend to her. And the March Hare is just nuts. The Queen of Hearts is actively murderous. So, and everybody mm -hmm. else is kind of ambivalent to her. So there was, he felt there was no character to really root for. And he felt Alice was a little distant herself. So it wasn't like Cinderella. You, you empathize with her simply because she's kind to the mice and, and, and everybody's mean to her. Right. Um, but, I think that as years go on and, and Alice was made available first on video and then on television, I think kind of through osmosis because it was one of the features you could see on a, on a regular basis. People wound up, uh, keeping that a little bit more in their memory. I also just think it's time for it that people are, are into something that is not quite as pat and safe and wholesome. And Alice's story is about, you know, journey through discovery and through imagination. And I think that reads with a, um, with a modern art audience very well. So mm. I, I think that the characters really respond to that. And then Tim Burton picked on up on it and did his own take, which is widely popular as yeah. well. So, yeah. While we're, while we're talking about the Disney, um, yes, the Disney collection of cartoon cats, yeah. uh, -huh. uh, let's give some honorable mentions to some, uh, if you have any cats that, that are in this collection of cats. Now these sure. aren't, these are not house cats. No. Uh, so much. Uh, the, actually the Aristocats are. Yeah. But I've got, I've got all of the Lion King characters in front yeah. of me. Simba, Nala, Mufasa, Scar. Uh, the Aristocats, mm -hmm. Marie, Toulouse, Berlioz, Duchess, Duchess, and Abraham, DeLacy, Giuseppe, Casey, Casey, Thomas, O'Malley. Mm -hmm. And Scat Cat and his gang of. Sure. And the, everybody wants to be a cat. That band right, is incredible. Right. Yeah. With the oddly incongruous hippie cats and uh, <laughs> Italian cats. And, you know, it was at a time where it's like, is this a, uh, is this a insensitive caricature or is it all in good fun? And it really, 
you know, crossed, you know, it was really straddled the line there with all the, the, the weird ethnic cats and stuff. Uh, yeah. You also got Sheer Khan, Khan from 1967's great character. The Jungle Book. A yeah. Great, great villain. Great villain. I've got a cell yeah. of him in, actually in the bathroom. Of, really? Yeah, of, uh, I'm mean, fighting Baloo. Baloo's mm-hmm. frantically hanging onto his tail and Sheer oh, Khan's yeah. just turning to, you know, slash out. Sure. Uh, yeah. my, for, the first time I ever took an animation voiceover class yeah. in L.A., we learned, uh, I studied under Jim Ward. And Cat Cressida. Oh. And they, they taught voice matching because they're two really yeah. great voice mm-hmm. matching people. So the voice match they gave me was George Sanders' Shere Khan. Wow. That was the first voice match I ever did. Let's hear some Shere Khan. Oh, boy. Shere Khan lives down here. Yes. Deep down. Very deep. See, I haven't heard it. Very good. It's a good Shere Khan. The, the, it's the, the great honor of my life, which, like everything in voiceover, did not bring me any work, was the, <laughs> the, um, uh, Brian Nevsky, who does the voice stuff for the parks. Sure. Listen, he was like, oh, he's a better voice match than the guy we have. I wish we had met him wow. when we were casting. Wow. Which they did not. Yeah, they had well. well casted, and that guy will live uh, until one day after I die. <laughs> Shere sure, Khan's power is all in contempt. He knows how powerful he is. He knows yes. he doesn't have to mm-hmm. snarl or growl. He's just—he's such a gentleman. Yes, he is. Yeah. And you know what? He ain't wrong. No. He's not wrong in his point of view. Mowgli is going to become a threat to him. Yeah. The man cub will become a threat to the entire jungle. Have you yeah. seen the decreasing number of, of tigers in the world? Shere Khan definitely... <laughs> Had had a point. I mean, how we went about it was probably might have been a little sure. extreme, but a little much. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, it's like uh, the Javan tiger, the Bali tiger, Caspian tiger are all extinct, and the others are kind of hanging on. So he he did have a point, but uh, again, very ruthless of how he made it. Yes. Are there are there any other uh, Disney ones that we want to give shout outs? So we have Falfello and Figaro, or uh, not Figaro, uh, Falfello and Gideon. Uh, Gideon. Yeah. Gideon. Yeah, Gideon, uh, kind of weird. He's sort of like an evil Harpo Marx type character. Yeah. He, yeah. I love Foulfellow and Gideon. I love Foulfellow in particular. Are they he, cats? Is one of them a fox and one's a cat? Yeah, Foulfellow is a, uh, a, a fox. Jay Worthington Foulfellow. He's a fox and he's very intelligent and he's a very, or he, he appears to be very intelligent, mm-hmm. but he can't spell Pinocchio's name or <laughs> probably even his own. Uh, and Gideon is his, uh, is his slow-witted henchman who's always... He's a cat, yes? Yeah. I, uh, Gideon, I was telling the Duchess just yesterday and and his partner in crime and uh, mm-hmm. there's this great exchange between the two of them where they're talking about Stromboli remember that time I tied strings on you and tried to pass you off as a puppet ha 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 and they're <laughs> laughing about that and then I was thinking and then later on they get Pinocchio and they sell him to Stromboli and you never see that scene and I always think like you know well Stromboli we we got a, a living puppet for you <laughs> Never mind that. I got a talking fox. Yeah. <laughs> and it's like, and then Gideon just collects some money and runs away yeah, to a collection of humans who are yeah. enthralled by a puppet. Yeah. yeah, a talking fox would be a big deal. Yeah, he goes, look at that, a living puppet without strings. You're a talking fox. And yeah, you're clothes. Yeah. I mean, Figaro doesn't talk. I mean, you know, uh, well, Gideon doesn't talk either. So I don't know. There's a, it's a, it, it's a suspension of of disbelief is is needed in that one. But Figaro himself. Is, is a very cute character, one of Walt's favorites because he liked the impishness of him. And Lucifer and Cinderella, the nasty cat who mm-hmm. menaced the mice and those guys. Yeah. So, oh, and Tibbs, he was a favorite of mine. Very obscure character, but he was uh, Tibbs? Tibbs was in 101 Dalmatians. He's yeah. a little gray cat who saves the puppies, who helps Boy, save the puppies. Uh, yeah. 101 Dalmatians, I just watched recently because yeah. I'm working my way through the whole Disney canon chronologically. Yeah. Uh-huh. It is. 
that that is one when I watched, I was like, oh, this was a turning point for these guys. Yeah. Because yeah. the animation in this is so cool. Yeah. Like before yeah. that, all the animation, like with Bambi, it had to look real. Yeah. With the fairy tales, it had to look magical. Yeah. And with with 101 Dalmatians, it just looks cool. And it, there's, there's a dirtiness to it. Yeah. Well, it's the Xeroxing, you know, because the, yeah. the Xeroxing captures all the, the Xero, they didn't, I don't know if they inked it the traditional way. They think they shot it, the pencils from the Xeroxes. And, uh, or they Xerox the pencils, one or the other. And so that preserved a lot of the animator's lines. You see some of that scratchiness in it. Um, and that was something that held over into things like the wonderful war- world of color when they would do Ludwig von Drake mm-hmm. and animation yeah. directly for, for the show. And I always felt that it gave the quality of the artwork, uh, you know, a real zip because you could see that, that underneath there. And I worked on a project. For Disney not long ago where we actively tried to revive that style, but unfortunately didn't go. So, oh, so geez. Um, yeah, it fell by the wayside. So let me ask you this out of our, out of these Disney. Yes. Now, now that we've, because there aren't a lot of Disney cats on our list that we originally yeah. uh, had in front of us. So I, I wanted to give, I didn't want to give short shrift to the, to the animated juggernaut of Disney. Right. Um, are there any cats that are going to come out of this that may make our final two or three? As one of the all-time great animated cats. I mean, there's some great characters well, in here. The Cheshire Cat is an amazing character. Mm-hmm. Pete is an a, a, amazing adversary for yeah, Mickey. Yeah. But are these going to beat a Sylvester or no, a I don't, Felix? I don't think so. Yeah. I mean, or I think Tom. Or Tom. Or Tom. You know, simply by sheer volume of the of the cartoons and, and the way they've they've starred in them. Uh, Disney cats have have been for the most part supporting players and really mm-hmm. good ones, and occasionally a lead in a cartoon like Oliver. You know, is a you know another oh, yeah. another good cat. Oh yeah. Um, but. Uh, by and largely, when you talk about short cartoons, you've got Figaro and, and it was only in a handful of cartoons and none, none of them really reached the stature of, say, Pluto or, right. or Donald Right. Duck yeah. Now they have Lion like Guard, but that's relatively new. So right. none right. of those are going to come in and no. knock any of these other cats off their feet. No. Uh-uh. Well, it's good that we mentioned him because now we're going to jump back into our timeline after our yes. brief diversion to Disney. We're going to go in back into our timeline. Mm-hmm. It is now 1940. Uh-huh. And that is the introduction of Thomas Jasper Cat. Yes. Better known as Tom of Tom and Jerry fame. And I actually think that Tom, if he's not the top, is in the top three. Because he simply longevity and appeal and he is he's just funny. He's a great cat. I've actually written quite a few things with Tom and Jerry. I wrote two direct-to-videos. Three. Well, we'll see if the third one gets going. Um, (laughs) but, But I wrote two and uh, and I worked here and there on some short cartoons. And I always liked working with Tom and, uh, and, and Tom and Jerry. And I always can find something for him to do. And I always love putting myself in that, in the headspace of, of that cat. What is the headspace of Tom? Yeah. Tom is basically, I always think of him and Spike Brandt, who directs a lot of, uh, a lot of the Tom and Jerry's currently for Warners. We share the same thinking that Tom is really Jerry's older brother. It's really, it's more of a, it's less a cat and mouse and more of a, an older sibling and a younger sibling. And Jerry mm-hmm. is the one who gets by being cute and, and appealing and quick witted. And Tom is a big dumb older brother who, who's no longer looked upon as quite so cute. And so it's a, it, a lot of what, even if they're fighting over food or they're, you know, trying to one up each other. I always think of it as sort of like big kid, little kid. And I feel that they're very childlike and they have that, that kind of whimsical appeal. And, um, and, uh, so in the cartoons where I've written, where they actually are, are together, 
uh, and work, and they have to, for whatever reason, work together. They're willing to do it to a point, but as soon as, uh, there, there's a moment of strife between them, they're back to being Tom and Jerry. You know, mm-hmm. if, uh, if, if they have to recover a treasure and Tom will go after it and he'll pick it up and he'll want it, and Jerry will be the one who goes like, nudges him, hey, put it down and he'll just flatten him and then Jerry will come back and it starts again and then they realize, hey, we have to actually accomplish something here. Uh, it's hard <laughs> for them, it's hard for me at least to write them as adversaries throughout like a 90 minute feature because, mm-hmm. um, they'd be at cross purposes and they don't talk. So it's better. I found if they have, they can, what I, what I real when I, I wrote one called, uh, Tom and Jerry's giant adventure, which was basically a modern retelling of, uh, Jack and the Beanstalk. Mm-hmm. And we came up with an interesting premise rather than set it in medieval times and in, in old England, like the old fairy tale, we set it in contemporary times in like one of those little Santa's village type, uh, by the or mother goose, uh, amusement parks by the side of the road and they're uh-huh. the only animals still in the petting zoo because it's fallen on a hard time <laughs> so the little boy who takes the role of jack is is their pal and and, and it was important to was when i was writing it and, and when we went when spike and tony cervoni did the direction on it we all kept in mind jerry likes the boy tom likes the boy but they hate each other yeah. So, but for the sake of the boy, mm-hmm. they're willing to at least be in the same space together and, and, and work. Sure. They're the time. divorced parents of cartoons. Yes, basically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and that was fun because we, we were able to take all the other MGM characters and give them supporting roles like Screwy Squirrel and Red Hot Riding Hood and, um, Barney Bear. And it's fun. It's fun dragging those characters out of obscurity and, and using them, especially Screwy Squirrel. Tom's had a, and Jerry both have had a really interesting arc as characters because yeah. the the theatrical shorts, which obviously I was too young to see when they were in theaters, but right. watched when I was a kid. Yeah, there's such a demarcation between that and I guess the early '60s. Yeah, because they were so hyper violent. I yeah. mean, ch- tails are getting chopped off. He's being set on fire. He's yeah. being shot. And then by times the '60s, the opening credits of the Tom and Jerry show, yeah. they're shaking hands. And I'm like, "What is this?" Yeah. Well, I think what it happened, and I, I'll, I'll tell you exactly. And I asked uh, Mr. Barbera about this because uh, Joe Barbera, in his in his later years, and Mr. Hanna as well, they had kind of like emeritus positions with Warner Brothers because uh, Turner bought um, Hanna Barbera, so mm-hmm. they shuttered the old. Uh, Hanna-Barbera studio on Coenga Boulevard and they were given a suite of offices over in Sherman Oaks where we were all working. And I got to know Mr. Uh, Mr. B pretty well. And, and, and I think what happened was I got to meet him as a friend and not as an employee. So we were able to sort of, and I was producing my own stuff and he was, and we had some common friends. So we wound up going to lunch fairly often. And one day, um, uh, I brought a copy of his book and I, and I wanted him to sign it. I said, oh, well, and I thought I pushed my luck. I said, uh, you feel like drawing something today? And maybe I'll get a sketch out of him. Yeah. <laughs> See if he can actually draw, you know, like some of these guys, you weren't sure if they actually drew their stuff. He goes, yeah, sure. And he drew a flawless Tom and Jerry. I mean, just, it was like muscle memory for him. It was yeah. Jerry like this and Tom like, <laughs> He'd done it up, once or twice before. I mean, it was beautiful. It was actually, it was absolutely beautiful. And I'm going like, uh, Oh God, I love these guys. And I, and I said to him, you know, I got to tell you, there's one cartoon you did as a kid. 
And I, and it, and it really upset me. He goes, yeah, I know. Povra, povra, pussycat. And I go, that's the one. <laughs> wow. And it's, it's the two musketeers. Mm-hmm. And, uh, if you remember that cartoon, it's Jerry and Tuffy as musketeers in France. And Tom is given an order, keep the mice away from the king's banquet or it's the guillotine. And at the end, you know, of course they humiliate Tom and they get away with the food. They're walking away and they're singing a song. And you look and there's this rather dramatic shot of the guillotine blade raising in silhouette and it comes down. And you know that Tom has just been killed and he's not going to pop up again. And the mice kind of gulp and they go like, eh, oh, well, <laughs> they walk off. <laughs> As a kid, I remember watching that and we're going to my mom like, ah, what? Ah. And she goes, well, he'll, he, he'll live to fight again. That's what she said. Or he'll, he'll be back. You know, they always come back. And I, and at the same time, I was going like, that kind of creeped me out. I don't want to watch that cartoon again because I don't want to know that he gets killed. It's one thing if he gets chased off or devoured by a dog or if there's a big fight cloud and you fade in. But it's another thing to have it, you know, like shown yeah. in such a way. A very like, dramatic invention. Like this is, this is an invention of death that we're putting in a cartoon. I mean, yeah. it's not the same thing, but it was, it was an idea that sort of went through our, I think collectively our heads. I, I, I certainly thought about it when we did. The Batman episode, Robin's Reckoning, we couldn't show the Graysons dying, but mm-hmm. we did show the trap trapeze swimming, swinging mm-hmm. back that it had been cut. Mm-hmm. And you hear a musical sting, even though we couldn't have the audience react or hear a thud or anything. But the idea that something has happened and you can't see it makes it more vivid in your memory than if you actually you actually saw it. Sure. My most vivid like Disney movie death mm-hmm. is from Tarzan. And it's all in a shadow. Oh yeah, when when the, Clayton the falls. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. that's yeah, that's that's the way to do it. It's it's sometimes it has more impact than just you know the dragon getting the blade in the chest and falling over. Um, but Tom, you know, if is if is if nothing a very resilient uh, cat, mm-hmm. and uh, and he's the emotion in his um, in his acting because he rarely spoke was always spot on. And I think that after they kind of worked out the kinks in the first five or six cartoons, there was really kind of like a, a prime area of Tom and Jerry that went to probably about 55 or so. And the emotion on him was always great. You, even when he was, when he was being kind of an asshole, he was engaging, he was fun. Uh, the scream on him was great. That, that perfect pitch. You know, was, was always, was always fun. And, uh, and, uh, you didn't have a lot of sympathy for him, but you sure enjoyed him. And, and, uh, I, I guess you had a little sympathy for him, like in cartoons like, um, Pecos Pest, where Jerry's, uh, cousin, uh, where his uncle Pecos comes to visit and he keeps plucking Tom's whiskers. Oh, and yeah. Come here, kid in guitar string. <laughs> Doing. And, uh, and there's kind of a fun little sequence, you know, when he's on TV, Jerry and Tom are kind of watching TV together and Tom's like, he's really grumpy. And then, and then he, he snaps a, spr- a string, but he's somehow able to reach through the TV and get the last one. So, yes. you know, Tom, Tom is great. I, I love Tom. And when I work on a Tom and Jerry, uh, cartoon, I'm not, I, I, I'll never be an animator. I'm not really a great artist, but I can sketch a little bit. And when I write a Tom and Jerry, the first thing I do is break out a legal pad and just start drawing them. And I start drawing little stick figures and I try and come up with little bits of action and little, little, you know, ideas for little set pieces because I think anybody can kind of fake their way through Tom and Jerry. But, and then I take what I've written and then I, I type it up and, and, uh, give it to the artists and, but it all 
for me, those because those characters are so physical, if I, I actually have a lot of fun drawing them in a sketch pad and see, figuring out what they're going to do. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, so that is a that is a good vote for Tom. Yeah, yeah. he's obviously yeah. going to the finals. Yeah. There's yeah. no way you don't take Tom. Speaking Although, of, I, I, you know, I wrote something recently about them. I don't know if I should talk about it or not, but but it's sort of about it, you know Tom is Tom at his best when he's with Jerry, and mm. actually I wrote something where they tried solo careers, and I don't I don't know if that's going to get made or not, <laughs> and they're really not that strong without each other. I mean, you know, it's, yeah, you know, it's like uh, so, um, but peanut like butter's pretty good, jelly's pretty good, but yeah, but together, together they, they're, they're magical. magical. Exactly. Yeah, exactly, yeah. totally. So one year later, yes. After the 1940 creation of Tom, an early uh-huh. version in 1941 appeared of a certain character who was officially part of the canon by 1945. Yeah. I'm talking, of course, in the Looney Tunes canon of Sylvester James Pussycat Sr. Yes. A tuxedo cat most famous for his appearances with Tweety Bird. Yes. This one for me, I mean, I'm a huge yeah. Looney Tunes fan. Yeah. This for me gets an automatic... I, the finals, I, I, along with Tom, I think I think the two of them are going to be fighting out for the top spot, mm-hmm. and yeah. I and I kind of give the edge to. Some... <laughs> By the way, listeners, uh, in our discussion of do- or in our discussion of cats, there are two of the world's most adorable dogs, yeah, uh, running around in this room. And Pixie in the tank, and Pixie's come to offer her opinion. Pixie in the tank. What do you think, Pixie? Who is the best cartoon cat? Whichever one runs the slowest. There you go. <laughs> Good girl. She's being so stoic. She really doesn't want to tip her paw on this no, one no, no. and let us know. So let's talk about, uh, Sylvester. Talk about Sylvester. Sylvester is just a wonderful creation. And I, I think the very fr- even though he looks a little different in the cartoon, I think where he really came into his own is in the cartoon um, – uh, Kitty Cornered by Bob Clampett. And that's the Porky Pig cartoon where he's throwing the cats out for the night. And there mm-hmm. are th- four different cats. And one is, uh, and one is clearly Sylvester, except he's got a, a black nose instead of a red nose. Mm-hmm. And there's a drunken cat and a little kitten and everything. But this, that's the first time you, I, I believe you hear him really going like, Tonight we were booted out. We were scared out of the house. Are we? Are we men or mice? And the little one goes, "I like cheese." And he hits him, and, uh, <laughs> and he comes. Ah, I've got an idea. And that's the first time you really hear Mel go off, and he's got the great slurring thing in his voice. And Sylvester is just kind of out of his mind in that one. He's the leader of this group <laughs> of really nasty, funny cats, and he's the most adaptable of the Looney Tunes players because you know simply. Sylvester and Tweety, we know, and that's, you sure. know, everybody right. knows that. But he's also got Hippity Hopper, the, the kangaroo, and he's got, uh, Speedy Gonzalez. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, you know, just. He's also not the big bully. There's a, the, he's the medium sized in, uh, at least one cartoon. Mm-hmm. Where you've got, isn't there, what, what was the one with the, the big dog? Was it Spike? Oh yeah, Spike and Chester. Spike and yeah. Chester. Yeah, he's the victim in those yeah. cartoons. There, yep. there are a couple where he's the, where he's just the victim, and he has to get through it. Uh, he has to get through the ordeal, and and he is an adaptable character in that he can just be in a situation where a cat would find themselves and does not need Speedy or Tweety to mm-hmm. uh, to, to play off or or victimize. There was actually there was a cartoon that we looked at early on that was an inspiration in a lot of ways for some of the cartoons we did in Tiny Toons called. Um, a Kitty's Kitty, where there's a little girl named Suzanne, 
and who's like a prototype of Elmira. She doesn't really look like her, and she's not as over the top as Elmira. She's actually a very sweet little girl, but she just doesn't know how to care for a cat. And so she, <laughs> every, and she's actually kind of mild mannered. Oh, kitty, I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And Sylvester runs into her house because there's a dog chasing him and everything the poor, everything the kid does to the poor cat, she like freezes him in the ice box. She <laughs> murders him a, a thousand times like without misery. really meaning to, but she's, uh, at the end, Sylvester is, you know, frantically running down the street, whistling for the dog to chase him. <laughs> and, uh, that's, that's really good. Oh, and we're, we're forgetting another series that he was in. Uh, the Porky cartoons where yes. he is, uh, uh, Porky's pet, and he doesn't really talk in those. But those are the the creepy ones where they wind up in the hotel being menaced by the mice or kidnapped by Martians or or something yeah, like that. He's brilliant yeah, in those. He can play sidekick. He can play yeah. adversary. He's kind of he a hero in victim. those. Yeah, he's the protector of Porky Pig. And other than you know suffering succotash or a line here or there, he just doesn't really talk to um, to Porky that much. And he's also a great uh, swashbuckling villain, like in the Scarlet Pumpernickel. Um, yeah. <laughs> That's I, right. I once had a chance to ask Chuck if I, I, I say here, you know, we're doing Tiny Tunes. We're doing Tiny Tunes at the time. And we'll have story meetings where the directors will get together with the story people and we're figuring things out. Did you ever do that? Did you ever, like, get in a room with uh, Freeling or McKimson and say, oh, I'm going to do a Bugs cartoon and you're doing a Bugs cartoon. Figure out where you were going with the characters. And he gave me kind of like a odd look and said, the only thing he said was, my Sylvester didn't talk. Oh, wow. <laughs> like, like that was as, as much as he thought about it. Like everybody else, you do, I, I don't care what you're doing with Bugs. I don't care what you're doing with Daffy. I'm just doing this. But that was really the only thing he said about it was like the only difference between was his, he kept Sylvester mute or just talking to himself. And it was a really clever thing because he brought out a level of emotion in Sylvester that none of the other directors ever did. You know, it's, it's, it is and it isn't the same Sylvester who's got Sylvester Jr. or who is, uh, menacing Tweety Bird. It is, it is Sylvester as, Kind of like Bob Hope in Ghost Ghostbreakers or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a guy who's 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 terrified and reacting as as best he can. In a way, he shares more with uh, Wiley e. Coyote and his frustrations. So, you know. in that sort of singularity of focus that he can have too. Like yeah, his yeah. his his Tweety cartoons are my favorite because of that simple but impossible task. Yes, it's you have this one objective. Yeah, the same thing that Wiley e. Coyote has. Yeah, get that objective by any means, mm-hmm. and also we're gonna laugh hilariously while you fail it. Also, yeah, and in the Freeling cartoons, Sylvester has the greatest reactions, like where something will go wrong and he'll flash a little smile at Granny and then run or or, yeah. or something, or he's uh he's always trying to get away with something, and uh, the the cartoon where he's with. Uh, Rocky and Rocky and Muggsy is really good when he's trying to get the bird back and he's, he's actually trying to get uh, Tweety back to eat him. Yeah. But he's, he's judge, you know, they, they think he's trying to rescue the bird and everything like that. He's a, he's a terrific, uh, a, a character and, um, you know, there, there's nothing you can't do with him really. Isn't there an episode uh, or a short where he thinks that Tweety Bird has died and he's like stricken with grief over it? Am I remembering yes. that correctly? He, he, where he's in tears? It's odd to think of like how many different, because b- by and large, 
a lot of char- cartoon characters seem to sit in their box. This right. is sort of the function I serve, yeah. and this is my general range of character. But he's got a pretty wide range that that they've explored with him over the, right. the tenure mm-hmm. of his existence. Yeah, th- that one was, I think, a later one, and it was sort of a parody of Alfred Hitchcock because you had this this silhouette of a bear, it kind of looked like Hitchcock talking about. Oh, you've murdered him, you've eaten him, and he thought he had, and he's up late at night and going through paranoia. It's a little bit like Birds Anonymous, but in this one, I think you're right, he's actually convinced he's killed him. Yeah. There were times they would, um, uh, they change it up a little bit. There's one that I liked an awful lot when I was a kid, uh, because it was a rare time you saw them as friends. They're actually, living together up at granny's uh cabin in the mountains and you see them snuggled up together and <laughs> granny's coming to to feed them and but there's a snowstorm and it's cut her off from the mountains so there there's a chance they're going to starve and but you see them cuddled up together and he kind of looks at him and pats him and tweety smiles and then Sylvester kisses him and then kind of licks his lips and then he slaps himself and, <laughs> and then he goes back to um uh and then it's like I can't do it I can't do it but then it's like they they hear on the radio the the roads could be closed for six weeks and it's like six weeks I'll starve and Tweety says well we'll we'll get you some food Pooty what do you like to eat well there's fish and there's liver and there's there's what Pooty never mind I got to I got to figure it out <laughs> and uh, and then at the end you know Granny shows up with food but ironically all she brought is bird seed so Sylvester has to eat that as well <laughs> oh there's another great cartoon that he did called Canned Feud which is really good which is again no Tweety in it, but, uh, he is a cat left in the house while his, while his owners go on vacation, you know, and it's like, and they, they, they go, well, California, here we come. We'll be back next month or whenever. And Sylvester wakes up and watches them go, hey, they forgot to put out the cat. I'm the cat. And he realizes he's going to starve. So he's frantically looking through the, um, people are terrible at taking care of Sylvester. I know, I know. Poor cat. And, uh, so he's looking through the cupboards frantically for something neat. Then he finds a whole cupboard full of tuna fish and it's like saved. Now all he needs is a can opener. He can't find the can opener. He's going nuts looking for it. And he hears a whistle and there's this asshole of a mouse who's standing by the hole with a can opener. And it's like, here's my chance. Here's what you want. You ain't going to get it. And so the whole thing is Sylvester is get the can from the, the can opener from the mouse, and the gags are really great. Yeah. Again, <laughs> simple but impossible task. It yeah, no one did it better than Sylvester. Yep. Let me make a uh, a proposal here. Because mm-hmm. we are we are forty five minutes in. Okay, right now. Let's, let's. But I I think right now it seems like it's going to come down to to Tom or Sylvester. The, uh, the most iconic cats happened so, at the very beginning of yeah, animation. But, uh, here here's what I propose we do. We're going to mm-hmm. take a quick break. Yeah. Uh, hear from some other shows on the Max Fun Network. But when we come back. Uh-huh. Let's let's go through a list of some of some of these other cats and see if anybody's going to even make it into that final conversation. Okay, we'll go. We'll do a lightning round. All right, that's what I we're going to do. Okay, great. Uh, when we come back, right after this. Following the news is hard and it sucks. How do you know which stories are important? Which sources do you trust in this post-truth world of reactionary journalism? I'm Brett Black. And I'm Travis McElroy. And we host a podcast called Trends Like These. We cover trending news stories. We debunk misleading clickbait headlines. And we always try to throw in a little bit of good news. In our quest for truth. So join us every week on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Mugs, shirts, stickers, patches, tanks, and more are yours for the purchasing at MaxFunStore.com. 
Hey, you already love the podcasts, so why not take this to the next level and outfit your home and bod with our merch? MaxFunStore.com. Because if you have to wear a shirt, it should be one of ours. And we are back. And this is this is the quasi-lightning round. We're yes. going to try to find a cat to measure up to these two. Yes, right. Which right. is no uh, short order. Mark, where are we starting? We are going to begin with the the most Cosby'd of all of the cats on this list, uh-huh. Penelope Pussycat. Oh, <laughs> oh interesting. Lord. Oh, Lord. oh, mon dieu, mon soeur, please do not insult me. <laughs> yes, the off, the, uh, the affection amour of Pepe Le Pew. Uh, the unrequited unre- should probably take out a restraining order. Yes. Yeah. And also the number of ways she finds to mistakenly color her back white oh, yes. is astounding. Yeah. I'm not yeah. going to say she's asking for it. No, no. no. <laughs> that, that's like saying, uh, what were you wearing, madam, when sure. you, you know. Uh, yeah. I, There's, <laughs> I'm licking my knee right now. Oh, okay. Well, come here, Pepe. Come oh. on. He's doing the Pepe Le Pew on you. like, I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Do I have a white stripe painted down my No. Neck? Hank, come here. Hank, Hank, you're very sweet. Hank, get on. Okay. Right. So, Penelope okay. Pussycat, is she going to be Tom or uh, no. Sylvester? No, uh, but she is appealing and she... Uh, I, I think they made an effort in some latter day stuff to make sure that she wasn't just a victim of, of what was going on. Or, right. Or maybe it was consensual or something. They, I remember at least one where she liked him an awful lot, but she couldn't get over the smell. And, yes. uh, and he had his stent taken away and she had it put on and the roles were reversed. There was also one that takes place at a, at a French zoo where a wildcat gets out and gets a stripe on it on it on her and she basically takes him apart every time they he he comes toward her yeah and i like to think in that one that cat got revenge for all the other ones and this maybe peppy tank get over here learn to like come here lesson He's I like, feel like, uh, I feel like. Just shoo him away. Oh, I hate <laughs> shooing a dog. He's so sweet. I know. He's just being nice. Get over here. Um, <laughs> I do like Penelope Pussycat. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I believe they were, when they were in the Louvre. Yes. Uh, she had, <laughs> she had maybe one of my favorite catchphrases of any of these, which yeah. was, Le Peur, Le, <laughs> le Mew. Like the, a French cat yeah. would say, Le Peur. Le it's so funny. Yeah. 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 Uh, she actually had a had a latter day moment of glory as uh, the the girlfriend of Bugs Bunny, uh, oddly enough, in Carrot Blanca, which they made about what twenty years ago, something like wow. that. She they did a parody of Casablanca, and she was uh, she was actually Sylvester's wife in that one, and she had it was revealed that she had a fling with Bugs, like um, Rick and Elsa had a had a had a fling in, in Casablanca. <laughs> But even then, Pepe Le Pew was in the role of the uh, the French policeman who was chasing her around. So, uh, sure, of course, is insatiable. Yeah, insatiable. But yeah. She, right. she's not making it. She's not going to win. No way. No, no. Uh, but but honorable mention. Uh, Snagglepuss, another Hanna Barbera yeah. classic. Yeah, I love Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss. Snagglepuss is uh, yeah one of the one of the legends. Snagglepuss is great. He's a. Uh, um, he actually started as a as a villain in Quick Draw McGraw in one of the very first episodes of Quick Draw. No kidding. He was he was colored a little different. He was more of an orangey or a tan color, and he was uh, still had the same voice, but he was a sheep marauder, and he took great pleasure in it. And he was always seen running back to the cave with a bull or a sheep, and you, and you never saw them again. You got the idea he just devoured them in his cave. <laughs> and he was a little more like this. Oh, come on, Quick Draw, you're gonna try and take me in, are you? 
And he was in about four or five quick drives, including a great one where an El Kabong one where he actually dressed up as El Kazing and the two of them are going at it as like Zorro type characters. It, he, it was really terrific. And I think that, that Bill and Joe must have liked Snagglepuss or Mike Maltese, I think actually came up with him, uh, liked him an awful lot because they found reasons to put him into Yaki Doodle cartoons and to other uh, uh, Oggy Doggy cartoons, mm-hmm. and I think they were really grooming him to be his own his own cat. And then they put him into his own cartoons where they reestablished they firmly established him as a mountain lion, and, uh, and they changed his color to pink, and they gave him the affectation of being a uh, kind of a ham actor, you know, somebody who was very pleased with his recitations of Shakespeare and stuff like that, which is a really funny character to play with. Oh. Oh, yeah, yeah, because you can put him in any situation. Like he's going out and, oh, what a rogan peasant slave am I? And, you know, he's trying to do recite Shakespeare and there's the, the, the big game hunter trying to blow his head off. So it's a, <laughs> it's really good, but I always, I always liked him. I always thought he, he had tremendous appeal and just a, a nicely designed character. And he's yeah. also one that is very memorable to most people because they just think that he has that pattern of like, I'm going to do this even. Even. Like, yeah. you, like he yeah. developed those. He was even an SNL character, even. Even. Yeah. yeah. Like, and uh, he's got his own comic book now, even, which goes into more of his, uh, uh he's, they made him a kind of a Tennessee Williams type character. And, uh, <laughs> I like this theatricality of him because, uh, because looking back, you know, it, it, it's the answer to Tom. Tom doesn't yeah. talk. We're going to make a cartoon cat now who, when he does talk, it's freaking Shakespeare. Well, you know, it's sort of interesting. They, they did give him a, in two cartoons, they gave him a girlfriend who was, uh, was a real, they gave sh- him a beard. Yeah. Yeah. She was a real shrew. I mean, real shrew. And it's almost like Sylvester, at some point he's turning to the camera, why am I putting up with this? I mean, come on. You know, Huckleberry, I'm sorry. Just just ignore her. It's yeah, like, exactly. I'm fulfilling my contract. It's all right, snag. I'll see you at home later. Uh, all right. Yeah, okay. uh, moving on to 1960. Yeah. Uh, a trans artist's production. Oh, sorry, sorry, sorry. Quick. What was night? Oh, wait, 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 wait. I wanted to throw in a quick shout out to Mr. Jinx. Oh, yes. That's yes. right. I'm sorry. My apologies. No, 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 no. But he, as, as long as we're doing the Huckleberry Hound, we got to mention, we got to mention old Jinxy. He and does hate those Mises. He hates pieces. those Mises to pieces. And I love the way he talks that, that, yeah, um, you know, uh, kind of hipster type drawl that he had and, and again, just, I think Bill and Joe had been drawing cats for so long, they just got the design down perfectly. He was just a really, really good looking character. Yeah. A lot of fun. Um, all right. Well, shout out to Jinxie. All right. Uh, now we're moving on to very, I'm going to be honest, this one was not on my radar. Oh, okay. Courageous Cat. Courageous Cat, created yeah. by Bob Kane. Created, uh, really? Bob Kane created Courageous Cat and Minute Mouse. And as a way of cashing in on uh, Batman, and he, he was looking for a way to repeat the success that he uh, had had uh, with Batman, you know, that Bill Finger and everybody else who worked with him. So um, I don't know the whole history, but I do know that he was responsible for um, their creation. And it came out at a time when it, just around the time of Batman and he was looking for a way to capitalize on that. So yeah. you go back to what you know. And so, uh, two characters and fighting wacky criminals. Yeah. He had the gadget guns. Yeah. And like a lot of the hallmarks. Uh huh. He was Catman. Yeah. Let's, be, he let's be honest. Was, yeah. He was Catman. Yeah. You know. <laughs> Catman <laughs> cash in for Bob again. Payday for Bob. All right. Uh, so, but, but cat, but let's, let's, 
yeah. say he's probably not going to make it. No, he's be the no. Uh-uh. I think he is. All right, uh, moving on to Top Cat. Yes, Top Cat, great character. Well, lots of fun. It was always, sorry, it was always kind of a crime. They only did the thirty episodes and, and out. I felt they could have gone on for a long time with Top Cat. He's just a very engaging character, kind of like Hanna Barbera at the time. They 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 were taking their cues from primetime television like the honeymooners was uh they they adapted that to the flintstones and so right. you'll never get rich the sergeant bilko show is obviously the model for top cat where you've got a, a hustler character and the uh you know arnold stang doing his uh phil silver's voice you know is, is, and even maurice gospeld who was uh bilko's um you know crony in 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 in, in that show is benny the ball it I, I like all those episodes an awful lot. In fact, Misty and I will throw them on like at two in the morning and we'll watch some Top Cat. It doesn't, <laughs> it doesn't get old. And, and there's so much good about those episodes. The design work is good. The backgrounds are, are good. They, it really, they really try to catch a New York feel to it. Even some of the episodes will start with a very New York-y sound. Like they'll do that, um, the slide, uh, like the, uh, the clarinet slide from, uh, uh um, Rhapsody in Blue, you know, right. like, or, or something like that. Yeah. Over Hoagie's Alley and, and, you know, Top Cat's always hustling something and everything. I have one great Top Cat story that I have to tell. And, Please. And, 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 and this is a, this is kind of a good one <clears throat> and very apropos to things that are going on now. Uh, about 12 years ago. Warner Premier was looking at a way to do, they were going to do a lot more DVDs and, you know, they do two DVDs like, uh, the Justice League and Wonder Woman and, uh, a lot of superhero stuff. And they do the Tom and Jerry's and, and things like that. And they've always been curious about doing more Hanna-Barbera characters like, uh, you know, than just Scooby-Doo. And so they, they, uh, they, they called me and they say, if you ever have any ideas, come in and pitch them. And I said, okay, give it some thought. And I came up with an idea for a Top Cat DVD that I liked an awful lot. And the pitch, and I went in and pitched it to them, and, and they liked the story. And they said, okay, well, we'll think about it. And the story was this. Top Cat comes in possession of the original deed to New York City. He comes into possession of half of it. And it's like <laughs> the bearer of this, of this half of this document owns the, you know, New Amsterdam or whatever it was, you know, it was like, this is the deed to the city boys. We, we, you know, if we can find the other half, we'll, we'll own the city. It'll be our, all ours. And they go out looking for it and they discover the owner of the other half of the document is Donald Trump. Wow. <laughs> and it's a, and Trump finds out what all these, these cats have the, have the deed. I want the deed. I'm, I'm going to get the deed. And it was this battle back and forth to get the deed of New York City. And, and originally when I wrote it, it's like a Donald Trump-like villain, you know, mm-hmm. like that, like that. And then I thought maybe it could be Trump and maybe we could approach him. And I was talking, I was running the story by my friend Arlene Sorkin, who does the voice of Harley Quinn. And she said, I, I've actually worked with Trump's people because they, they have this whole entertainment division. And Arlene is also a writer and producer. She said, oh, you know, let, let me call them. And I said, oh, yeah, you don't have to, but you know, if you want to, that's fine. Within a day, I heard back, he'll do it. <laughs> he wow. was up for it. His people were interested. His, his, his entertainment division, you know, they talked to Arlene and said, you know, he, it sounds like fun. He's, he's up for it. Uh, he does, he does, um, request that he, uh, he had, he had the request that he not look like a total bad guy in it. And mm-hmm. the idea was 
you can have all sorts of fun with him. You can make, make fun of him. You know, it's all in good fun, but he really qu- requests that at the end he and Top Cat are friends or that he's shown not to be a bad guy and that, that he's able to, um, you know, uh, have, have a nice moment at the end and, mm-hmm. and not be a total heel. And I thought, great. Oh, good. He's a good sport. So right, let's do it. So I, I wrote the premise like he's, there's this big battle back and forth. And I thought, Oh, we can have all sorts of fun with him. And, and at the end, as long as he and top cat are arm in arm in the alley and, you know, know, having a good time, let's do it. Well, I went back to Warner's and then they, and, and, uh, and then had another meeting with them. They said, yeah, we're not going to go for it. I said, well, how come? And, you know, I got Donald Trump lined up to his own voice. And they said, yeah, well, we, we pitched these to, Moms are the ones who buy the DVDs and moms just don't know Top Cat anymore. And it's like they, the, the, the moms coming up now grew up with Scooby Doo. You know, it's a, and it was the moms before them that grew up with Top Cat and it's a harder sell. And, and, you know, so we're not going to do it. So I called Arlene back and I said, you know, just tell, tell them thanks, but no thanks. So, but I thought that would have been so cool. Wow. I mean, you know, you yeah. think about it in hindsight, we could have had the president of the United States <laughs> doing a voice in a Top Cat cartoon. And, you know, you <laughs> wonder what, what it would have been like if he had done it. And, you know, the, the flip side of that is you guys, did you hear that guy from that cartoon got in the White House? <laughs> yeah, there you go. I mean, how, how weird would that be? It's, uh, it's weird. So, uh, but, uh, uh, I, I mean, I have to give him props for being a good sport about it. Right. So, yeah. Um, all right. Okay. This is uh, this is one that could give us. We're, we're moving on. We're now. Yeah. We are now to 1969. That was 1961. Top yes. Cat was invented. Yep. We are moving moving on to one that uh, that could be up there. Yeah. 1969 was the invention of the Pink Panther. Yeah. Oh. A real an iconic character. A real strong contender. Mm-hmm. I mean, like Sylvester, largely mastermind by Frizz Freeling, or mm-hmm. to a great degree. And Frizz took a lot of what he knew about cartoons, especially um, uh, with uh, you know silent humor, and put that to work on the Pink Panther because, mm-hmm. again, a character who doesn't who doesn't talk very much, and a very Chaplin esque character in right. that you could put him in any role, and um, and he would. Uh, Usually his, his confidence and his style and his appeal as well as just his stick would get him out of the situation. Usually, almost always a positive character, kind of a heroic character, somebody you could really empathize with and very imaginative in what they had him do, especially in the early cartoons where they were playing with the ideas of color and, and, uh, where he was a more mischievous character who sort of existed to paint things pink and to, and mm-hmm. to bedevil other characters. And, um, the only time he really didn't work is when they gave him a voice, you know, like one or two cartoons where they had him sort of doing the David Niven stuff. It's like, yeah, who's this guy? He's yeah. too much like Snagglepuss. You know, it's like that's that's the whole Chaplin, you know, if he yeah. talks, he yeah. loses the match. He, he had more style and class mm-hmm. not speaking than when you gave him a voice. Then they gave yeah. him a voice and, like he's and, then he sa- and then he started selling paint. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there you go. You <laughs> that know. was that's what set him yeah. down the path that's of selling paint. That's what set him down the path paint. to paint. Yeah. Hey, listen yeah. to that guy. He's going to be the voice of paint. <laughs> <laughs> Um, All right, we got to give him number one for the best theme song. Best theme song, for sure. Best theme song, absolutely the best. You you know, even though the Tom and Jerry fanfare is really good, you got it. You can't. No. Yeah. Hands down. Um, That said, he is a strong contender. But does he knock Tom or Sylvester out of the top slot? No, no. Nope. And, and, and I'll tell you why. And at least my 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 feeling on it. And and, and chime in. You know, if you, I'm. If you, I will chime with your. And, and um, I'll chime all over the place. Yeah, great. Um, <laughs> uh, but the the thing with him is, 
he the others read as cats. You know, I think I think when you go down like domestic cat, that there is a a level of empathy you get with Tom and with Sylvester because they are they don't stray far from cats that you know right. that you might have and that you really relate to them. Yeah. The Pink Panther is much more of an everyman, but he might have been the purple penguin for the for the the cattishness that he has. And he has cat right. style and he has the cat coolness to him. But he's in a lot of situations where he's got a job or he's working, he's doing something very human like, and he doesn't even have the pantherish qualities of a uh, uh, snagglepuss when he's being chased around the jungle or anything right. like that. With that said, yes. I want to take two off the list right now. Yeah. Okay. So we don't even have to talk about them. One is Hello Kitty, which has been re- which has been officially <laughs> announced to be a little girl and not a cat. Yeah, okay. And number two is the Thundercats, who are basically muscular people. Yeah. It looks like they're in like <laughs> If instead I'm of making crossing them off right now, they're co- it's like cosplay. Yeah, it would be like yeah. if, wild if animal cosplay. It looks like the cast of cats on steroids. Yeah. Yes, it would exactly. Be like, exactly. It would be like if it's instead of it was a, if it wasn't about cats in an alley, if it was just about cats in a bodybuilding contest, yeah. Yeah. then yeah. then you'd have Thundercats. Although yeah. everybody loves the swords, I get it. Yeah. Kids who are my age or a little bit uh, uh, younger yep. think Thundercats yeah, are the coolest. Kids who are your age, listen, 40. whatever, man, <laughs> you're forty. How dare you? Not yet. Damn it. Uh, all right. So we're uh, now we're now we're to there. I guess I lied earlier. Mm. Uh, there is one more Disney cat to talk about from 1972. Originally created by A.A. A. Milne in 1928. Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. We didn't talk about Tigger. Oh, Tigger. This, Tigger's got to be a finalist. Tigger. Right? Yeah, he's up there. Yeah, he is. You know, it, it's like. <sighs> Although, you know, he walks the line. Is he a cat or is he a toy? That's the thing. And also, or is he a tigger? He's a tigger. His, he's, he's the only his one. Whole, he is, I am the only one. Yeah. I am a tigger. Yeah. So, so that may eliminate species, him. man. That may eliminate tigger if he's the only one and he says, he never says, I'm a cat. No, but no, he's clearly, he's a tigger. He's the only one. You gotta, yeah. you gotta include him on the list. If no other reason for the magnificent animation that Milt Call did on him, because when you consider that Milt Call went from animating Shere Khan like this to Tigger like this, and it was the same guy. Yeah. It's really wonderful. The guy had a, a way with, with striped characters. And I have to, I have to digress really quickly. The great cartoon. Tiger Trouble that he animated the tiger in the goofy cartoon, which, which really was a, a tremendously animated character too. Um, but Call gave Tigger a lot of feline qualities, like when he's knocking over Pooh, when he's, when he's growling at himself in the mirror, where he's doing all those little things. He really does have the essence of the cat in him. So yeah. even though he's ostensibly a tiger and a, a toy tiger, you know, you got to add him to the list. And on appeal, everybody loves everybody tiger. loves. And tiger. Everybody I, loves I would tiger. put him as a finalist. He's you such a because he's such a he. Here's what he brings that is the opposite of of both of the characters yeah. who who are are presumed finalists. Yeah, he is pure joy. Yeah. He is pure, yeah. unbound spirit. Yeah. And, and no, no sense of, uh, selfishness. Find he, me a person on this planet. Yeah. Who doesn't love Tigger. And <laughs> I will show you a villainous person. Yes. Who is not deserving of our love. Tigger is every cat who rolls over and begs for a belly rub. You know? Yes. He really is. He really is. Yeah. All right. So, so Tigger is moving on to, is, is up there in the pantheon so far. Yeah. Yeah. With, uh, yeah. With, with Tom and Sylvester. So it's Tom, Sylvester and Tigger. Yeah. I Great mean, theme song too. Another, another Disney cat we have to shout, at least, at least mention is Bagheera. 
in Jungle Book. Yes, oh, yeah. yes. Again, great, the a great cat, you know, mm-hmm. protector. And again, the animation on him is all pure cat. It's like they studied a leopard and knew how to draw it. Yeah, yeah. They studied a leopard and gave him Felix Unger's. Yes, exactly. Uh, yeah. Felix Unger's personality. <laughs> yes. And they're like, Perfect. oh, there we go. There's Bagheera. Yeah. 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 Uh, all right. So, uh, in the interest of speeding along, yes. I know we have a lot, a lot left. Um, let's hit some notables. Let's yes. hit some notables. There's a few that are on this list. Okay. Um, look, uh, I, I love Kate McManus. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure that, uh, um, this is my fault. Don't put it on this her. Is, I asked for an exhaustive you had, list. You asked for an exhaustive I list, which this. is how, how we wound up spending so much time talking about Courageous Cat. Okay. Um, <laughs> let's talk about Azrael, Gargamel's pet cat. I don't like him. You don't no? like him? He's all right. He's a dog. He, I'm not a cat person, admittedly. Yeah. I am a dog mm-hmm. person through and through. I do like Azriel. He's named after the Angel of Death, for God's sake, Hal. I know. I, I, I don't, he's not a finalist, but I just love the the how mean he is. Just I, like, I, yeah, and, and I actually feel sorry for him because he's he's often the the um the the target of Gargamel's ire, and yet there are a couple of cartoons. I don't know if they're in the in the. In, in the, the TV show, or if they were in the original pay, I have got a lot of the Smurf albums here. I read a lot of uh, French cartoons. There are a couple where Azrael is in trouble and Gargamel really misses him or, 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 or feels for him yeah. or, or he's going to miss him or he's concerned about him. And, and he really, really loves that cat. I mean, you got it. And that, that, that's the one thing about Gargamel that kind of makes him, you know, Human. This is one redeeming thing. That's what Azrael yeah. does for that show. Is it makes it gives Gargamel roundness. It does. It yeah. does. Okay. Yeah. Um, so now we are moving into the era that uh, you may need to recuse yourself yeah. from many of these because right. I'm imagining that a lot of these that we're about to mention you uh, had some hand in. Beginning with Cringer, oh yeah, who uh, will of course turn into Battle, Battle Cat, Cat yeah. from the Masters of the Universe, He Man's pet. Yeah. Oh, Adam, I'm so scared. Oh, yeah. Man up, Cringer. You know, here's, here's <laughs> did you draw story. Cringer? Did you? Or did I wrote. You, did I, wrote you write, I mean, write, not yeah. draw, write for it. Do you yeah. like Cringer better than Battle Cat, or is that just me? Oh, I liked them both. I mean, I, I mean, Fair. you know, I, I always thought, you know, give poor Cringer if he had a choice, he'd be Battle Cat all the time, and uh, yeah, you know, just, that was one of my favorite toys. Yeah, that yeah. Cringer Battle Cat combo. Yeah, and do not try to put that uh, Battle Cat outfit. No, on, on, a, a, on an actual cat. You tried that. Don't try. Do not because <laughs> first happens? of all, it's. Just a little bit too small. Yeah. Not a lot too small. Yeah. Just a little too small. Uh, cats don't like that. It'll work on a squirrel though. Right? Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, now that we're moving on to. Oh, guys, here's that. another good one. Uh, I don't know. You did mention enjoying French cartoons. Yes. Uh huh. Heathcliff. Heathcliff. Heathcliff is a jerk. Yeah, he's a yeah. jerk, and he's sort of like a bum as a cat. You know, he's got that sort of roundish look, and he, I think he's got a grandfather or uncle who's actually a convict or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, what I like Heathcliff most was his voice. I felt that Mel Blanc came up with a good voice for him. It was mm-hmm. it was, it shook hands with Bugs Bunny. It wasn't quite Bugs Bunny. It was a little. It was it, it was a good goofy voice for the character. And um, yeah, the the comic strip I never really. Really took a shine too because it was just you know kind okay. Of it's just character. a lot of fish skeletons. Yeah, yeah there's like a whole lot. Of, he always has a fish skeleton on a tray. It yeah. can't be. He right. can't be the best cat character if all I think of is trash and fish skeletons. It's, yeah, there there's one cat who never makes any list of this, and and I, I do have to pull him in and mention him again. There is a great strip uh, by an artist named Gus Ariella called Gordo. And Gordo was a strip that was beautifully drawn. I'll show you some originals I'm in the other room. Yeah. Um, it was set in a small Mexican village and it ran from the forties up until the mid eighties. And it, Ariella himself was Mexican and 
it, it was of its time showing people, Mexican villagers as rather caricatured, which he gradually weeded out of the strip once it got into the 60s. So by the end of its run, it was pretty urbane and well done. He had a couple of cats in there that were just terrific. He had one cat called Pussy Gato, who for a long time was the focus of the strip. And it was beautifully drawn and beautifully emotioned and and one of the funniest cats ever in comic strips. And he knew how to draw a cat and he knew what went through their heads. And that's, I just got to throw that out there. So if you're right. a student of cartoons, you just got to hunt that up. Okay. All right. There you go. Well noted. Um, all right. So moving on from Heathcliff yes. to, uh, we've, uh, Hal eliminated, uh, our next one from 1985, the Thundercats. By Thundercats. By Thundercats. Now we're moving on to 1988, uh, uh-huh. a very beloved cat, uh-huh. uh, whose paws are frequently turned into suction cups and stuck to the windows of your car <laughs> as played by Lorenzo, as voiced by Lorenzo music. It is, of course, Garfield. Garfield. Now, here, from 1988. A, this is a fun piece of trivia that may or may not be true. And mm-hmm. I feel like Paul yeah. will tell me if I'm wrong, yeah. but they originally wanted Bill Murray to play Garfield in the animated series. And, uh, uh, or no, there was something they couldn't get. No, the, the voice of Garfield, Lorenzo Music's voice, they, they wanted someone who sounded like Bill Murray. Okay. And then when Bill Murray did not do Ghostbusters, Lorenzo Music filled in for him. There's something, it's, there's some like Lincoln's secretary was sure. Kennedy and Kennedy. Lorenzo Music is, like, is the roadshow Bill Murray. I'd like to phone a friend. Yes. Can I, can I phone a friend? Yes. Please. All right. Great. I will, I will phone a friend because, um, we have got to, um, I cannot. Oh. This is incredible. We are going to have a live phone call. A literal phone a friend. On the air. Oh my god. Is he going to call Bill Murray right now? He could call Bill Murray. Is he going to call Lorenzo Music? He can't. Lorenzo Music passed away. Oh. Did Bill Murray pass away? No. Bill Murray killed Lorenzo Music. Wait, what? He's coming back. He's coming back. I hear beeping. There's a phone being used. I love this. A phone a friend. This is a first. This is epic. Let's see. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be so wrong, but this was well worth it. Right now, listeners, Paul Dini is dialing his phone. We don't know who he's calling. I'm calling. I'm calling the expert on all things Garfield, Mark Evanier, and he is. He will hopefully answer this question. Oh, this is exciting! Hey, it's Paul Dini. How are you? Good. You got a minute? Okay, great. All right. He's going to call back. Okay. okay. Uh, I, I just rem- I just Lorenzo. remembered what I got wrong. What? Which is Lorenzo Music was the voice of Peter Venkman on the real Ghostbusters. Right. And then when they made the Garfield films, Lorenzo Music had passed. Right. And they had Bill Murray play it. So right. they each voiced a character that the other original. Oh. Okay. We that was it. it. Out. But if your friend calls back. Yes. If he calls back, I'm going to put you on speaker and you can ask him, you can ask him the question. I Perfect. will explain. Yeah. Yeah. I Mark, will. Mark Evanier is uh, a tremendous writer and a, a very good friend of ours, and he writes everything with Garfield in it. Uh, every animated appearance uh, wow. of Garfield, he writes. Wow. And so he writes the show. He's written He's written the show on CBS. He's writing the show now, the current uh, show being produced in France. He's written is it specials. So what's the, what's the, the 3D animated one? Uh, that's the one running on Cartoon Network. Yeah, uh, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, he, he's writing that's, that one. That's uh, not the French one, though. That's that, the, I believe it is. Yeah, oh, it is. Okay. Yeah, and he is an expert on all things Jim Cummings and all things Garfield. And boy, uh, Jim Cummings. So yeah, yeah. We so. talk legendary cartoon voice actors. Yeah, 
Uh, yeah. And uh, oh, did I say Jim Cummings? I meant you meant Jim Davis. Oh, Jim Davis. I meant, I mentioned Davis. I was, yeah. I was hoping very briefly that after Lorenzo Music died and Bill Murray uh, did oh. the movies, if Jim Cummings had come up with, and now he's the Garfield voice, can, which would could be, be can, amazing. Can Mark confirm my theory that Lyman is actually a drifter who's left a wake of bodies behind him <laughs> wherever he's gone? I don't know about that. <laughs> well, he might. He might. You know, <laughs> we I, don't I, know. have to say that when I put him on the phone. That's all for me because he's got all the good stories and, oh, uh, and everything like right. that. So. But I'm, I'm a huge Garfield fan. I'm a Garfield I was, fan too. Yeah. I, you know, I loved all of the, uh, the, the, uh, compendiums of the strips yes. and the yeah. strips themselves. Mm-hmm. I love the animated series yeah. and U.S. Acres that came out of that, uh, as well. Uh-huh. Is he, I would, here, here's, here's where my issue comes. Actually, he should have been your guest instead of me because he knows the same stuff I do. In fact, even more. No, we too bad. You're locked in. Yeah. Oh, okay. We're I, I, I can switch over to condiments, home. you know, but that was on the list also. <laughs> well, you'll, you'll come back for condiments. Okay, believe great. me. Oh, yeah. Right. right. Uh, I wonder if Garfield is really more notorious for his print work mm-hmm. than his animation I work. I think that's probably the case. And maybe like, that keeps I know him Garfield out. is a strip yes. more than as and I like when I think of Garfield, I think of those little oblong books that I used to yes. buy mm-hmm. in yeah. the mm-hmm. late eighties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that might be because the perfect version of Garfield is the print version, not the animation. Not the animated versions aren't fantastic. Yeah, yeah. That that might keep him out of the finals. But Garfield, by benefit of just the sheer volume of the books and everything, mm-hmm. it's like got to be there. Oh, oh, hey, wait a minute. If we're going to talk comic strips and we're going to put Tigger in there, we got to talk about Hobbs. Yeah. Yeah. There was never an, was there ever there an was, animated? There was. There was. Oh, animated. shoot. We're doing animation. Yes, there okay. was an animated. Yeah. I mean, but if we're talking comic strips, Hobbs, Hobbs is, Hobbs is print. Okay. okay. Yes. Okay. We okay. did a, we did a best comic strip episode. Oh, yeah. And we chose Peanuts over Calvin and Hobbs. Oh, and it very is end. of the yeah. many episodes that we, I mean, we're, we are well over a hundred episodes deep into this podcast. Uh-huh. And, uh, I've, I, I think I've, that is probably the most visceral response I've received from people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Understandably. Understandably. But because he's not animated, he, Hobbs is, is losing again. He's not even making it to the table. Uh, Although it is, it, it is funny to think like maybe Tigger and Hobbs are litter mates and then you could do feelings wow. of Oscar, you know? Yes. Like, you know, oh, my poor, my poor brother, Tigger, you know, he's not really right in the head, you know? <laughs> oh man, Tigger and Hobbs. Tigger and Hobbs, Tigger man. Tigger and Hobbs, like, I would watch that buddy cop show. <laughs> just two, just two, like, plush, plush cats in yeah. a convertible. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Tigger, get in here. <laughs> Put your badge down. Yeah, who made a mess of the city on that last one? That's um, a, and then Tigger comes out and goes, Hobbs, when, when'd you catch that guy? He ran right by you. And he goes, well, he was looking at me and I had to be a stuffed animal. Again. <laughs> Toy Story rules, man. Toy Story rules. Toy Story rules. That's, uh, that's something that's left over from, uh, from when he was just a rookie out on the streets. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I shot a kid like that. He's yeah. like, you got that, uh, diehard story. Yeah. Ever yeah. since then, when people look at me, I just have to be a stuffed animal, man. I tell you, Tigger and Hobbs, it's, it's waiting to be done. Oh, yeah. All right. Um, moving on yes. to uh, 1989. Yes. We're jumping over to Springfield. Yes. And there are two, uh, well, actually six, technically. I think there are six, right? There are technically six cats uh, that we are dealing with on The Simpsons. That yes. would be Snowballs 1 through 5. Yes. And Scratchy. Yes. Uh, itchy and Scratchy. It's- 
Scratchy is not going to go up against Tom in the finals. No, no. he's a, he is a he is a parody. He is of a those, parody of, of Tom, Tom specifically. Yeah, Tom specifically. Tom. I, I don't even think what we all love the Simpsons. Yeah. I don't even think it warrants discussion. Yeah, no. The snowballs one through five. All they did was snowballs notable for being dead. Yeah, yeah that's that's. And then there's yet. crazy cat lady who who's, yes. You know, oh, and all of her cats. Oh yeah, throw them yeah. at you. I, I have to say, I don't think Scratchy has ever been funnier than. I can make my sister laugh like doing this when um when Marge got them to change the cartoons and they're doing this cartoon called Porch Pals and they're rocking yes. the chairs. Lemonade, please. Thank you. <laughs> I'll just say the word lemonade to my sister. She thinks that's the funniest moment that's ever been put on The Simpsons. And, oh, I, and I agree with her. It's, oh, my goodness. They're, they're never funnier when they're not being itchy and scratchy. Um, <laughs> all right. Here's another contender. Yeah. We're moving up to 1991 on yeah. Nickelodeon. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk oh. about Stimpy of Ren and Stimpy. Oh, Stimson J. Cat. Yeah. Stimson J. Cat. He, he, he qualifies more as a potato than a cat, I think. But he's, I guess he makes <laughs> Yeah, he does it a human butt. <laughs> yeah. Um, gloves with fingernails on them. Yeah. yeah. Which is brilliant. I mean, yeah. he's hilarious. That first season, I, that first season of Ren and Stimpy, I would put up. Yeah. In what is one of the greatest animated seasons yes. of, of television. Mm-hmm. Stimpy ever. had one moment, you know, one feline moment, and it was in, uh, I think it was Man's Best Friend, the, the censored episode. They're in a pet shop window, and Ren goes, Hey, look, a human. Look, look cute or something. And they go to like a photo or a realistic painting of a real chihuahua and a real red cat. And they're playing like real dog sounds over it. And George Licker is looking in like, mm, yeah, I'll buy them. And he, and he goes and buys them. And it's like, oh, it's ridiculous. And then they did, they did an episode where they, they actually did, um, uh, the the mom and dad character bring in Ren dresses up like a mouse and they have Stimpy chase him like a cat and everything. Yeah. So every once in a while he'd have his catnish in him, but he's like, yeah, he's a great character. Yeah, great character, not much of a cat, and maybe right. that maybe that sort of pulls him out. Although it's, it, I can't believe this is the only Billy West character. I know. On this friend, uh, friend of the podcast, friend Billy of the, West, friend of the, yes, yeah, yeah. who former, based former guest uh, Billy, who yeah. told us on this very show that he based the voice of Stimpy on. He was just doing a Larry Fine impression. Was yes. it Larry Fine on caffeine? He said yeah. something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Billy does not only Larry; he does all the Stooges yes. extremely it's, well. That was our episode. Was best Stooge. Yeah, yes. yeah. And he went through all of the Stooges. Did he do oh, yeah. uh, did he Curly do Joe? Curly and Joe. Dorita. Yeah. Oh yeah. Did he tell you about the record of the Christmas album he did? He did, he did a Christmas album called Christmas Party with Eddie G with a, with a friend of ours, Eddie Gorodetsky, who create, co-created Mom and, and works on Big Bang Theory and everything. And years ago, and Eddie was famous for doing the, these mixtapes and then mix CDs of, of bizarre Christmas music. And he yeah. did one for sale and the linking, the connective tissue in it was the Three Stooges in the late fifties recording a Christmas album. <laughs> And Larry is the meanest <laughs> bastard throughout it. It's great. It's just l- great listening to it. They blow every take. Eddie's playing the, the, the guy who just, the engineer is barely paying attention. And it's, uh, Larry's like, Hey, pal, I got two words for you and they ain't Merry Christmas. And it's just great. It's, it's brilliant stuff. And, and, and it's, it's Mo, Larry and Joe Dorita and Joe can barely, he's so afraid of the other guys. He can barely talk. Oh, you got to hunt that up. It's, it's, oh. it's a, ter- it's called Christmas party with Eddie G. You can oh, find it online. It's fantastic. Great. Uh, it's great. <laughs> All right. Let me ask you guys. Yeah. Uh, I just have a few questions for yeah. you. Mm-hmm. Um, real quick. Just, just, uh, just a couple thoughts. Do you guys think that, uh, Luna and Artemis from the Sailor Moon stories, uh, are going to beat our top contenders? No. Okay. Nope. How about this? Do you think, uh, Rita, as voiced by Bernadette Peters from Rita and Runt on the WB 
is going to beat our finalist. Uh, no, I don't think so. Nice lady, really a nice lady and beautiful singer. But and oh, yeah. and Rita was a fun character. But, yeah, but not gonna. Uh, yeah. Can't how about it. Meowth? No, not really no. a cat. No, just a cat shaped cat Pokemon. Bratty thing. Sure. Yeah. 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 Uh, how about the cat half of cat dog? Uh, we no. half a cat. Uh, Did you work on any of these shows? I'm sorry for skipping through them so quickly. If you have uh, fun stories, a little of bit them. Rita and Runt, but not yeah. not not to really talk about. Um, uh, cat dog, I, I, cat dog, I never liked because I saw Ren and Stimpy, and I thought, yeah, you're gonna do another cat yeah. and a dog. Why are you why are you doing this? These guys, it's like, uh, yeah. Uh, and our final one of this list uh, that, that popped up in 2015. We've gone yeah. from 1919 mm-hmm. to 2015, and that is Puss in Boots. Oh, really great. Uh, hilarious. Really great. Hilarious yeah. really cartoon. Great yeah. By the way, Eric Bowser. Bowser rules the earth. So great. And I mm-hmm. met him back in like 2008. Mm-hmm. We did stuff for Jib Jab together. Yeah. And he was just starting out yeah. and you knew like he was doing these flawless impressions of Peter Griffin from Family Guy. Like super nice. Yeah. Super talented. We, yeah. we work mm-hmm. on a show together now yeah. and he's just like, Cannot say enough nice things about the the human outside of the range of talent he has. Mm-hmm. He is just a terrific guy. Misty was doing a show at the Magic Castle this last Halloween, and they were doing a Day of the Dead theme. And she had a music composer friend do a very stirring theme, and she realized, I would really love to get, like, Ricardo Montalban or somebody with that warmth to do this. And she asked Eric, and, you know... Almost, you know, right away, he recorded something and gave it to her. It was beautiful. And he just did it. Wow. Because he's, 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 he's a, a nice guy. guy. Nice yeah. guy. And uh, I think he's all the Beagle Boys in the DuckTales revival. And it just yep. said, wow. said Beagle Boys, Eric Bowser. So I guess he's doing them all. Or they all have the same voice. He's terrific. He's great. Yeah. Yeah. And his he, he sound, you would think Antonio Banderas had continued in the yeah. role. Yeah. And yet he manages to make it his own. He's, yeah. uh, you know. Super talented. That being said, shout out to Akron Blacker as well. Oh yes, Akron Blacker from Tony Adventure Hour, who wrote for Puss in Boots. For oh yeah, time. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I, I can't see Puss in Boots as fun a character as he is, toppling anybody that either Pink Panther or yeah. Tom or Sylvester. We didn't put Pink Panther up there. We put I Tom, we Sylvester, and Tigger. And Tigger. Up there. Oh, Tigger. Tigger. Yeah. Sorry, Pink Panther. You got eliminated Sorry. twice. Yep. <laughs> Too bad. Um, so, Hoity toity. Can we? Let's All right, I, I got, I got, I got Ooh. old tap in my brain. I have to shout out to my own, please, the Snow Leopard character Tashi from Jingle Bell, who would be real pissed at me if I didn't mention her. Hi, Tashi, you're not going to be on the list, <laughs> and you're more of a girl than a cat. But All right, still, Tashi. you're you're really pretty, and everybody likes you, and and you have your own legion of fans, and I will not discuss them. There but, you go. Yes, but and she's a great <laughs> hockey player. But that's that's as far as we go, Tashi. <laughs> there you go. One more thing. One yes. more thing about um, her. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So we have we have three finalists yes. now. That was that got us uh, almost a hundred years of animated cats. Yeah. Fellas, I did not think that 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 was going to happen. Yeah. Oh, you want you want a list of the ones we didn't mention? Oh my the, god. Schnookums from Schnookums and Meat. There's Cyan Am from uh, <laughs> uh, Lady and the Tramp. There's uh, uh, I, I, uh, the the Chattanooga cats from Hanna Barbera. I knew some uh, Chattanooga cats uh, back when I grew up in Tennessee. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm sorry, Cattanooga Cats. Or something like that. It was, a, it, oh. it, was, it was a bad show. It was <laughs> All a right. terrible show. Okay, so we, anyway. we, have, we have our three oh, finalists. Uh, shut, okay. All right. <laughs> Baby Puss. Baby Puss has to be on the list. Who's Baby Puss? He's the Flintstones saber-toothed cat. Of course. <laughs> and he is, in a total there's currently a... Uh, 
a squeaky, not a squeaky, you formerly squeaky formerly version sneak- he, uh, yeah. vintage toy He's of him. He's obviously right smarter now. than Fred because he gets him locked out of the house. Every yeah. time. Why can't Fred figure out, first of all, Sabretooth Tiger, not a small animal. No. no. Animal goes in through the window. Yeah. Window has no pane, no curtain, no no yeah. rocks or sticks over it. Fred bangs on the door, not smart enough to realize he might be able to get through that window. Yeah. He is yeah. no saber-toothed cat, though. No. No. I guess not. He just stands outside and, and yells for Wilma. I, here, I'll digress again. I actually pitched Joe Barbera an idea for doing a short with the two of them that is Fred takes baby puts, throws them out. He jumps through the window, and then you see what's inside. And it's realistic animation of a caveman beating the shit out of a saber tooth. And the saber tooth <laughs> is ripping into him and clawing and slashing. And there's blood, and it's like, ah! They're both screaming, and he's beating him with a club. And then he drags him outside and then just drops him out again. And then he jumps back in, and the whole thing happens. And then it ends with Fred outside going, Wilma. Wilma! And the last <laughs> shot is Wilma in bed going, Fred, cut your toenails. <laughs> the cat's sleeping next to her. And, <laughs> and, it's, and it's like, and I pitched it to Joe, and he kind of went, we yeah, never yeah, yeah, no, we're, yeah, we're not gonna, yeah, we're not gonna make that one. <laughs> and he actually did wind up making one with baby puss as a kitten and menacing Dino. So a good idea is a good idea. But there you go. I, you know, he's in maybe five episodes of the actual show and has one line of dialogue. Wow, and, and all that. And then so you know, who voiced him? Do you know? Dawes. It's a, it's, uh, and I'll tell you the episode. It was Pebble's birthday. The one that has the showgirls in it. The one where, where, where Fred has to get, you know, gets, gets the wrong, you know, hires the wrong caterer. It opens in a, a long sequence where Fred is snoring. You know, obviously a sleep apnea and he's snoring and snoring and snoring and waking up everybody. And the cat's asleep on his bed and the cat actually gets blown off the bed by the snoring and, and Dawes has this one line where he goes, I said, I'm going to go sleep at this animal shelter. And he runs off. <laughs> Probably never to be seen again. Yeah, that, and that, that was, was the end. end. That was the end. From then on, Fred got into that house every night. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. And uh, well, hopefully Baby Puss was adopted yeah. by a nice family. Baby Puss went to the caveman equivalent of a farm upstate. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that's, that's a little sad. So, <laughs> maybe he was adopted later by the Jetsons. Or, he, be, or, he, or he he he. He did some work and became Top Cat. Who knows? That's right. Yeah, okay. A lot of possibilities for yeah, that character. Okay. All right. Uh, All right. Guys. We've had our, our, our finalists. We have. Yes. We're yeah. here. We have our three finalists. Mm-hmm. I want to take we, – we do this every once in a while. I yeah. want to take the temperature of the room. We have uh, our three finalists. Okay. I would like to count to three. Yes. Everybody think real hard about of those three finalists, Tigger, Sylvester, or Tom. And those are the, the, we just say one of those three. We say, it'll be one, two, three, go. And I'm not going to say go, but we'll. One, two, three, cat name. Ready? Okay. Yeah. Just to see where we are and if we are in any sort of agreement on this. And if we get it right, we're home free. We're done. If we get it right, we're home free. If not, this is going to be a six part episode, guys. Yes, Mm -hmm. that's right. Ken Burns, best cartoon (laughs) cat. (laughs) Uh, All right. One, two, Three. Sylvester. Sylvester. People of the world, <laughs> we had this settled so long ago. You probably saw it coming yeah. down the pike, and yeah. we forced oh. Paul Dini to sit at a table with us no. and tell us stories about cartoons. But we, we have him tied to is, the chair. We have him tied to the chair right now. Mm-hmm. No. And yeah. <laughs> we're never getting out of the cock chair. Yeah. Now, 
We we gave you all the reasons already. You heard. Sylvester's got more range than any cartoon yeah. cat we have on this list combined. Not that others aren't beloved. Not that others aren't smart. Not that aren't, others aren't funny or interesting or keep our attention. But Sylvester, folks, has it all. And again, this harkens back to we did uh, classic Warner Brothers versus classic Disney uh-huh. uh, animation and shorts. Yeah. And Warner Brothers yeah. like cleaned the clock mm-hmm. of – of Disney in that department. And we didn't even get into half of what makes Sylvester great then. Mm-hmm. Adam, you asked and we answered. This is asked and answered. Sylvester is the greatest cartoon cat of all time. Yes. Paul, thank you so much for joining. This hey, is a man, marathon. What a treat of an episode. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, tell everybody where they can find you. What should they be watching right now? What, anything you want to promote? The floor is yours. I'm around, man. I'm just I'm, I'm, just come I'm, hang out at the house. I'm around, yeah. yeah. You know, it's um, where what am I doing? Uh, I'm writing Harley Quinn every other week with Jimmy Palmiotti. That's a which lot you of created fun. Harley I Quinn. Did create with Bruce Tim. We created yes. Harley Quinn together. And, uh, yeah, yeah. And uh, it's uh, Harley's 25th anniversary. Congratulations, oh, happy birthday, Harley. Yeah, thank you. We've got uh, some books coming out on that. Bruce has a movie that he uh, wrote and directed. I think it's coming out uh, later this year. And. Awesome. Um, I've got uh, some comics and some stuff I can't talk about and uh, some <laughs> is exciting stuff. Is it the secrets to Misty's magic tricks? Uh, no. no it's, it's Harley Quinn stuff, but I just can't talk about it right now. And uh, let's see. What else have I got? Um, episodes of Justice League uh, Action, which is on Saturday morning on Cartoon Network real early. Awesome. Uh, wrote some episodes of that. And uh, just a lot of stuff in the works. This topic is settled, but we want to hear from you. What are the topics you need us to solve? Hit us up on Gmail. That's we got this podcast at gmail.com or go to our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash we got this podcast. Or reach out to us on Twitter at we got this tweets or check out the Maximum Fun subreddit. A flame war could be happening right now. Thank you to producer Ken Plume, researcher Kate McManus, who did so much work on this in a very short period of time. Thank you, Kate. Graphic designer Uri Kelman and QA engineer Jen Alba. Thank you, as always, to our musicians, Jonathan Dinerstein and Mike Furman, for our score and theme song, respectively. And thanks to you, our listeners, we will always be the Sylvester to your porky pig <laughs> by your side telling you <laughs> what to do. That's not correct. Yes. No, that's you correct. Know what? That seems right. Yep. Yeah. You know what? We love you guys. Thank you for giving us a chance to talk to the great Paul Dini yes, about uh, such a, a topic that I did not realize was so in-depth. Mm. Uh, and boy, was it a blast chatting with you. It was. Thank it you was for fun. doing this. Yes. And pleasure. to our listeners, thank you so much. For Hal Lublin, I'm Mark Gagliardi. For Mark Gagliardi, I'm Hal Lublin. And don't worry, everybody. We got this. We got this. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.